Well, good morning again. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, as we make a little detour from our time in Philippians just for this morning uh, to look at this comforting passage of Scripture before us that tells us who our God is, what our God is like how He relates to us, how we can depend on Him, rely on Him. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Let's pray. Our God, we praise You for who You are to us. That You are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And our prayer this morning is that You would help us to see this as truth and by faith. To draw near to you in our time of need. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. In our study of the letter to the Philippians, we have been looking at the problem of anxiety. Anxiety, worry, is a real problem in our world today, isn't it? A life of fear. We have been looking at God's cure for worrisome thinking. And we were going to move ahead in the letter to the Philippians chapter 4. And this week we were going to look at Paul's treatment or teaching regarding contentment. The Apostle Paul is an example to us of how to live a life of joy. How to live a life of contentment in spite of whatever circumstances that he was facing. The Apostle lived a life of ups and downs, mostly downs in his case. After he came to know the Lord, most of his life was very, very difficult, as we will see when we return to Philippians, Lord willing, next week. But both of these contexts, these issues, anxiety and contentment, they speak to how man is to live, how the believer is to live in times of worry, in times of trouble. And we know this about our lives, don't we? That this life is a life filled with struggle. If anyone ever tells you that the life of a Christian is easy and without pain, well, they're lying to you. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 14 verse 1, that man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. That's true, isn't it? Our lives are filled with trouble. Every one of us, on many different occasions, will experience pain and tragedy. We will experience sorrow and heartache. And to use the Apostle's language in 2 Corinthians 1, we will experience affliction. We will be afflicted in this world. Affliction is a word that speaks to trouble and tribulation that causes distress. 
Have you ever had trouble and tribulation that causes distress? You have, haven't you? Well, some of the affliction that we face is that which the Apostle Paul faced, which is the primary context of these comments. He tells us about his affliction in verse 8. He said, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, whatever that experience was, that affliction is up for debate. could be several different instances of affliction. We will save that for another time. But, he says, this affliction they experienced in Asia, this persecution, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, experienced a level of affliction that caused distress to the extent that he said, I despaired of life itself. Here's what we do. We so elevate a man like the Apostle Paul, great man that he was, that we think he could never know what the type of pain is that I'm dealing with. That's just not true. Paul was a man just like you, a human being. And here, in this affliction that he experienced, he felt despaired of life itself. You are not alone, are you? In your feelings of pain, anxiety, and worry. The, the desperation that you might feel that is before you has been experienced by God's people throughout history. It's being experienced by people in the world right now, all around you. And it was experienced by the Apostle Paul as he faced down adversaries for the sake of the gospel. And we should not limit these statements, ladies and gentlemen, to persecutions, to adversaries for the sake of the gospel. He's going to say in verse 4, we are able to comfort others in whatever affliction that they experience. Whatever trouble. You and I may not experience the type of opposition that the Apostle Paul did, but we will experience a whole gamut of trials, won't we? Of troubles. We deal with everyday worries over finances and security. We deal with the tragedy of lost loved ones. We deal with horrors that we need not mention. And these things, they cause great pain. And we get to our wits end and we're, we have tears that are falling to the ground. And we, we, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We feel so desperate. And we ask the question, how do we endure these things? How... Can we be anxious for nothing? How can we be content no matter the circumstance? Did you see what Paul said there in verse 9, by the way? What did he say? He said, this affliction was to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but on God. I despaired of life itself, so I looked to the one who can raise the dead. The answer to where we turn and what we do and all of our grieving, all of our suffering, as we turn to God. That's exactly what he says in verse 3. He begins by praising Him. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now in any cursory reading of verses 3 and 4, it's easy for you to understand the theme that the Apostle is writing about. Five times in these two verses, he writes the word comfort. 
What's, what are these verses about? Comfort. Five times he speaks of comfort. But before we look at that, twice in verse 3 alone, he speaks of God as Father. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies. Here in verse 3, we are reminded of who God is. The emphasis here is not on the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the Holy Spirit, though those two members of the Godhead do minister to us themselves, but on God the Father. The Father. You know, folks, sometimes I fear that we have a tendency still, for whatever reason, to look at God the Father in a different way that we look at God the Son. We think that God the Son is near to us. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. We pray in His name. And we speak of Christ. And we want to live for the glory of Christ. And we want to walk with Christ. And we want to have this intimate relationship with Christ. All those things are true and wonderful. But sometimes I wonder if we still look at God the Father as though He is, for whatever reason, distant from us. That we emphasize the holiness of God. And you will never hear me de-emphasize the holiness of God. God the Father is holy, holy, holy. But sometimes we forget that holy God has brought us near to Himself through the merits of His Son so that we might be in forever a right standing with Him. And even more than that, we are adopted into His family as children of God. That when we think of God the Father, we ought rightly to think of Him as our Father. That's what He is. When Jesus rose from the dead, He was speaking with Mary Magdalene, and He gave her this command in John twenty seventeen: Go to My brothers and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and your Father, to My God and your God. Now Jesus makes a distinction because He is the only monogamous. He is the, the only begotten, the unique Son of God in a way that we are not. But... Because of the work of Christ, we are adopted into the family of God so that God loves us like He loves Jesus. He is our Father forever and always. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. When we pray, what do we say? Our Father who is in heaven. This is the, the most comforting thing to the believer in times of affliction is to know that we have God as our Father. And the picture really is to be that. Now you know this from experience. Or maybe the reason why we, we don't understand this correctly, some of us, is because we grew up and we didn't have a good relationship with our Father. Our Father was an abuser. Our Father was distant from us. We didn't know Him. We didn't love Him. He didn't love us. Whatever. But that's not the way that our Heavenly Father is presented to us, is it? He is the most 
perfect father, the most loving father and compassionate father. And I know that when I was a child and I was afraid, I know where I would go. I had the strangest fear when I was a kid. When I was in about the third grade, we watched a movie at school. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not. But the movie was called Night of the Twisters. Anybody ever seen that? I have no idea why we watched that in third grade at school. It wasn't the movie Twister with Bill Paxton. It was the movie Night of the Twisters. Which, if memory serves, there was one night, and I don't even know if this was a true story, fiction or story, whatever, when there was like 30 tornadoes or something that all came down in one night. And even though we would live and it would be perfect weather outside in East Tennessee where there's hardly ever a tornado, I was convinced that the twisters were about to fall. And I mean, it must have been, I don't know, it might have been a week, but in my my memory it seems like it was for a year. That every time it would get nighttime, I was absolutely terrified that tornadoes were coming. And where would I go? I would get up out of my bed, and I'd run to Dad. He would tell me, son, it's beautiful outside. It's not storming. Go back to bed. A lot of times they'd wake up, and there'd be a sleeping bag in the floor next to the bed. Because little third grade me didn't feel any safer than right there next to Dad. And my son does the same thing. My daughters do as well. And you know this from experience. You probably did the same thing when you were a child, and your children probably do it for you. Some of you parents have young babies and you're going to know this one day when they get scared where they they turn to. They're going to run and they're going to crawl up in your lap and they're going to wrap their arms around you because they feel safe there. This is exactly the way you are to look at God the Father. As one who, when life doesn't make sense and we can't understand what's happening and we are afraid, we run to Him as our refuge. We run to Him as our strength, our protector. And, and if we want to know how real this sonship is, how real this love is that God has for us, all we need to do is remember that He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and we remember what it cost Him to have us adopted into His family. What did it cost? God the Father sent His only Son who came willingly to give His life as a ransom for you. That Jesus lived as your substitute. Yours. Yes, the church corporate, of course. But no, yours. Your name was graven on His hands. And Jesus died on the cross in your place so that you might be reconciled to God and have peace with Him. 1 John 4.9 or 4.9, excuse me, says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's as if John is saying, right here is the very definition, the very picture of what love is. It's that God the Father gave His Son to be the propitiation for your sin. To satisfy His wrath. To turn His favor towards you. That's God's love. That's God's love. In the midst of pain and sorrow 
even with your questions, you have a Father in heaven who invites you to Himself in time of need. I picked up my copy uh, this week of Voices of the Past. And I read an insert or one of the, the devotions that are present in that book. I recommend that to you if you don't have it. This is what it said. Quote, it is the saints' duty and should be their care not only to believe that God is almighty, but also to strongly believe that His almighty power is engaged for our defense and help in all of our straits and temptations. And he asked the question, what is the foundation of this trust? He says, we are His own dear children. We are His own dear children. Everyone takes care of His own. The silly hen, how she bustles and stirs herself to gather her brood under her wings when the enemy appears. How much more will God stir up His whole strength to defend His children? The dear love God has for His saints engages His power. The believing soul is an object of God's choicest love, even the same love with which He loves His Son. John seventeen twenty six. God loves the believer as the birth of His everlasting counsel. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Oh, how must God love that creature He has carried so long in the womb of His eternal purpose. God also loves His saints as the purchase of His Son's blood. They cost Him dear. And He that was willing to expend His Son's blood, blood to gain them will not deny His power to keep them. Isn't that beautiful? What it costs God the Father the silly hen gathers up her chicks and protects them. How much more will your father, who poured out the blood of his son for you, come to your defense, come to your aid when you need him? That's the encouragement to us, isn't it? That's the encouragement that the apostle gives to us in this text. We look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. The word mercy here is a word that speaks to God's pity. God's compassion. Yet again, we, we look back to this idea of God being distant. God the Father being somehow far from us. Maybe that's a, a Roman Catholic thing. Maybe that's something kind of left over from that. Because Roman Catholicism has this idea that They've got to go to Mary, who then can go to Jesus, who then will go to God the Father, because God the Father is so far away. It's not reality. God the Father has compassion upon His children in all of our trials and tragedies. He's not distant. He's not far away. His, his compassion is there for us and towards us. The word comfort is a word that speaks to lifting of another's spirits. In our trials and pain, God comforts us. I want you to notice that verse 4 is an indicative. It is a statement of fact. God the Father, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. What does He do? He comforts us in all of our affliction. He does. By faith we believe what the text says. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 121 verse 1, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's, 
the God of comfort that we have. What is it in this passage? It is an invitation to us to come and to receive the comfort from the God of all comfort. The compassion from the Father of mercies. All throughout the Old Testament we see the saints speaking of this. In Isaiah 51 verse 12, God speaks through him, says, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, or the son of man who is made like grass? Listen, God speak through Isaiah in Isaiah 66 verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Like a mother comforting her child. So God the Father will comfort you. The psalmists express praise over and over again towards God who comforts them. Psalm 3 verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory. Listen to this. And the lifter of my head. How intimate is the God of all comfort with His children, but that He lifts our head in times of despair. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Psalm 62.5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. There's an invitation, isn't it? Pour out your heart before Him. For God is a refuge for you. Psalm 145 verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and He saves them. You want to know why the Psalms are in your Bible? Why they are our hymn book? Because they speak to us, don't they? In all of our emotions, in joy and in sadness, in sorrow and pain, we go to our God, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, notice this, in all of our affliction. All of it. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, He is there as your refuge and your strength. Now again, when we evaluate this this word comfort, as we said, it means to lift another spirit, but it's also a word that means more than just to be there to make you feel better. The word is a word that speaks of God's strengthening, encouraging, emboldening. It's a word that means to come alongside and help. God is not just telling us that everything's going to be alright. Sometimes when... My children come to me and they're afraid. I don't know what to tell them other than everything's going to be alright. But God does more for us than that. He strengthens us. He establishes us. In fact, this word that is used for comfort here is the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another parakletos. Another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. 
you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That title helper is the same word. God helps you. He strengthens you. How does he do it? He sends his Holy Spirit to you to lift your head. Through his word, the Spirit will lead you. The Spirit will encourage you. He will remind you of God's promises and God's care and God's love for you in times of affliction. Now, there's another way that God will comfort us. There's a lot of things that we can say. We could talk about God comforting us through His Word. We could talk about God comforting us through times of prayer. We could talk about God comforting us in many different ways. But there is a way in the text that's very clear. Verse 4 again. Our God comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, sometimes the believer asks the question, why am I suffering? Why did this happen to me? And, you know, there's a lot of different answers to that question, isn't there? If we were to do an examination of the theology of suffering, we could provide a lot of different answers to that question. We could speak of God's providence in suffering. We've quoted it many times in the last three weeks, Romans 8.28. You should be familiar with it. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. We would look at the story of Joseph and his brothers. We would see how that terrible tragedy God was actually causing to be good, both for Joseph and for his family and for really the known world at the time. God saved many people alive through the tragedy that happened to Joseph. We could look at Romans 5, and we could look at James chapter 1, and we can see how God through our suffering strengthens us, doesn't He? He produces endurance, patience. He causes us to be filled with hope. Hope for a time when our suffering will be no more. To look ahead, we could turn to Hebrews 11. We could look at the example of Moses who chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the splendor of Egypt because he was looking ahead to the reward. We could look at verse 9 that we've just read and be reminded that in our suffering we are led to look beyond ourselves, beyond our strength. Because we know that we face things in this life that we just don't have the strength to deal with. And so we rely on God. This is what the Apostle teaches in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. He had seen these visions. He had been called up into heaven. Seen visions that he was not allowed to tell us about. Wish he would have been. But he wasn't. And the Apostle Paul was a sinner. Just like you. Just like me. And pride was a real issue. Could have been. So the apostle writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now what is the thorn? Nobody knows. Could have been an illness. Some people think it was the false teachers in Corinth. It's very possible it was a temptation to sin. Talked to somebody just recently who believes that's what it was. We don't know. 
Three times the apostle says, though, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There will I, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Suffering leads us to see what true strength looks like. And it is the power of God working in me. God's grace is sufficient for me. But there is another reason, ladies and gentlemen, why you experience pain and tragedy. What is it? It's so that you can help others in their time of pain. You know, a lot of times we uh, don't think that way when we're in the midst of whatever it is. But when you experience pain, hardship, whatever it looks like, it could be something minor, or it could be something tragic. There is now an ability that you have to minister to others. When they experience this great grief. God uses His people as a means to comfort His other hurting people. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6, But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. God comforts the downcast. How did He do it? He sent Titus. He sent Titus to us. This is an amazing truth, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't want to waste our pain. As we have said, the afflictions that we face are experienced by our brothers and sisters in this body as well, and others. And when you go through your own, God comforts you. And so then, the comfort that you receive from God in the midst of your trouble is something that you need to remember. So that when your brother or your sister is experiencing their own, you have an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness to you in times of tragedy that you can then share with them so that you might lift up their heads. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I don't know where that came from. There is a, somebody's a, got Luke 6 on their phone. Why are we, a, I believe that's correct, Luke 6. I could be wrong about that. I don't think I can fit this in here. Um, a better preacher than me would have just transitioned right into that and, uh, and went with it. But alas, you're stuck with me. Well, the application here is this. When times of tragedy hit the people that we love, it's time for the church to be the church. And what do we do? We come together and we, we pour out our love upon our hurting people, don't we? 
And when we do that, the amazing thing is, it's not our love that they see. We will see this next week, Lord willing, when we return to Philippians, when the Apostle Paul writes this, and he says in verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now you have revived your concern for me. So the Philippians sent a gift to the Apostle, and the first thing that he did was rejoice, not in them, but in the Lord. Because the Apostle Paul recognized that the gift from the Philippians was really a gift from the Lord. It was really God and providential means providing for His need through His people. When we love our hurting people, what they see is the love of God. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In 1 John 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. In other words, this, nobody has seen God, but when we love one another, they see God's love in us. God's comfort for them, God's compassion towards them is made manifest through our love for them. Paul says, we have been afflicted and we have experienced God's comfort. So now when you are afflicted, I can show you God's comfort. I can tell you about how God comforted me. And I can assure you that God will comfort you too. Now just in passing, there's something else in the context here that you can do. I don't know how to love the person who's hurting. I don't, I don't know the words to say. I don't know what to provide. I don't know what to do. Well, verse 11, the apostle says this, You also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on your behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God works through His people as they show love and mercy. God also works through His people as they pray. God answers the prayers of His people on behalf of other people. Folks, this is who our God is. These are not titles. This is God's character. God is the Father of mercies. God is... The God of all comfort. This is who God the Father is to you today. This is who He is that you can take by faith and go to Him for your refuge and your strength. He will show compassion to you. And one last thing about this. God provides comfort and hope. In this world you are going to experience terrible tragedies and sorrows. And in that, you are reminded that Jesus has overcome the world. That there is a future for you wherein there is no more sorrows and tragedies. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to, notice, His great mercy, His great compassion. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Jesus Christ has won for us an inheritance. It cannot be damaged. It will not rot or fade. No one can take it from us. God protects us by His power until that day when we will receive it. And in that we look to with our hope that is the anchor of the soul until the day that we acquire possession of it. Fix your hope on that and be comforted in your trials. Martin Luther, the great reformer, maybe my favorite person in church history, was a man who experienced at times great depression. Did you know that about Martin Luther? It's amazing. We treat these people like they're not human. Martin Luther dealt with times of great sadness. Anxiety. There was one time in his life that he was really struggling with a fit of depression. And we have a record of it. The story goes like this. One time when Luther was overwhelmed with negative thoughts and feelings, he locked himself in his study brooding for several days. Now, Luther was married to a godly woman named Katie. I know something about that. Katie had someone take the doors of his study off the hinges. Because she couldn't get in there to him. And she forced Martin out of his gloomy room. When Luther came out, he saw Katie and the children dressed in black. And Luther asked her, who has died? Katie, who must have been quite a showman, began to weep. And she said, it's our Lord. He's dead. Luther thundered at Katie. Nonsense. Christ isn't dead. He's risen. He's reigning. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's returning soon. Jesus cannot die again. So Katie asked, Why then have you been moping around as if Christ were dead? I thought our Lord must have died, judging from the way that you were acting. Luther burst into a hearty laugh and he said, Kate, you are a wise and loving wife. We have a living God to trust in. Thank you for the reminder. Now, go change out of those funeral clothes. That's a story that's so Martin Luther it has to be true. But it's true, isn't it? Praise the Lord for godly wives. Men, we need them, don't we? She reminded Luther of the truth in his time of depression and brooding. Christ is alive. Christ is reigning. Christ is coming again. And He's taking you to a world where you won't need funeral clothes. Or you won't experience this type of sadness and grief. 
And so for all of this, the church blesses God. That's the way the apostle opened verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father. Eulogeo, we eulogize God. We give Him praise. We speak of His worth. Because He is our God who has saved us. He is our God who loves us. And He is our God who will comfort us in all of our affliction. Do you need comfort this morning? Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank You for this truth. That's an amazing truth. The truth of Your love for us. Your mercy. We know that We have those here among us who are experiencing great tragedy. Our prayer is that you would wrap your arms around them right now. Comfort them. That you would use your people to comfort them. That you would use your people to pray for them. That you would inspire us and motivate us to spend time in prayer for them. Pouring out our love for them. We know that in the near future all of us will experience trials of some sort. It's been said before, and I think it's true that we're either coming out of a trial or in the middle of a trial, or we're going into one. It seems to be the truth of this life. Men's days are full of trouble, Job said. Lord, help us to rely on you, to draw near to you, so that you would comfort us. We thank you for Jesus who has accomplished our salvation. So that we can live right now with the knowledge that you are reigning, Lord Jesus. And that you're coming again. Help us in our fits of worry and fear and pain and sorrow. To rest in these truths. I pray in your name. Amen.